You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Uh, It's Christmas. We are on the way. And as we've been saying, it's natural at Christmas for churches to talk about God in the flesh. Often uh, churches talk about uh, God in the flesh. And yet we've been saying in this series that we want to talk about God in the flesh, if you get the difference. That is, we want to focus on the humanity of Jesus, that he is God with us in human form. And when we truly grasp that and when we get that, and when it uh, just soaks into our soul, it should change the way that we live. Last week we learned that uh, the humility of all the poop and the straw and the mess of a baby in a manger, it humbles us too. It helps us in our mess-ups. It helps us in our stuff-ups that we recognize that, uh, that as we humble ourselves, uh, that it's not, the, uh, it's not the mess-up that is messing us up, it's our egos that mess us up. And its antidote is humility. And this morning then, we learn that a baby in a manger should cause us to act differently when it comes to uh, our troubles. When it comes to suffering. And some of you are thinking, why are you talking about suffering at Christmas? (laughs) I mean, shouldn't we be talking about all the baubles and all the lights? And shouldn't we be talking about love and peace and joy and hope and all that fun stuff? Uh, Well, yes, and we will in the next uh, two weeks, the final weeks of this series. But here's why we've got to talk about suffering. You know, here's a question. How do you know that you've grown up at Christmas time? The way you know you've grown up at Christmas time is something's always breaking in. Suffering's always breaking in. You've you've lost that, you know, that childlikeness that we all once had. You know, that, that, that unabashed excitement that like there was nothing better in the world than presents under the trees and you just could not sleep on Christmas Eve and you were so excited to get out there. And, and of course, you, we relive that in the family members around us. But, but those that have grown up, we know, don't we? And we come to the present, we come to the tree and we see all the signs in the shop say love and joy and peace and hope. And we watch there and we almost sit from time to time with that little bit of glazed look in our eyes as as the anxiety and the pain breaks in temporarily. I mean, suffering, suffering is the security checkpoint at the airport. Last time I checked, you can't get to the joy and the beauty of Hamilton Island without the demoralizing and painful experience of the security gate. Suffering works the same way. What we'll see as we move into the final weeks is that Christian joy, true joy, is not experienced until you move through the gate of suffering. And it can seem so unfair, and frankly it is. Maybe for you, some of you this morning, the problem of suffering is the problem in your life right now. And I want to start this whole message to say, if it is the problem for you this morning, then this message is not for you. All we want you to get this morning is there a place, there is a place where we can hug you and cry with you and walk with you and pray with you, as we are for my mate Brian at the moment. Up there in the hospital. Well, that's the only message you've got to get this morning if you're going through that. But for the rest of us, as we look into this proactively, we've got to ask the question, how does a baby in a manger give you the power and the resources not to despair in suffering? And so what we'll see from Hebrews chapter 12 is that you'll see the problem of suffering, then uh, the picture of suffering, and then the pathway through suffering. 
See, first thing that we have to recognize and appreciate is the problem of suffering. And the problem is that if you live long enough, then you could witness a child die. You could see disease engulfed a loved one. You can experience deep grief. You can have your heart broken. You can watch relationships blow themselves apart. You could even endure a war. You could lose your job. And the problem with suffering in this world is that it's inevitable. Suffering's inevitable. That's just the status quo. There's been too much prayer. There's been too much time in hospitals for me this week and this month leading up to Christmas that I dare care about. Too much time watching my wife's dear grandmother, a mighty woman of faith, a church of Christ minister in her own right, I go through the suffering of a stroke and the pain of all of that. And I'm thinking, no Christian deserves to go through this. That's often what we think. And that is often the objection of a lot of people. When they go through suffering, they say, how can there be a God? And how can that God be good if there is so much suffering in the world? And I guess my response to that is the first thing that we must recognize that the tragedies and troubles and pain and injustice... All of those things, that's a problem for everyone, no matter whether or not you believe in God. Christians suffer, of course, but atheists suffer too, right? And so it would be a grave mistake to think that abandoning faith in a God is going to give you somehow the resources to deal with what you're going through. (laughs) Martin Luther King wrote from a jail that he said, if there was no higher law or being, there would be no way to tell what is unjust or not. And there is, oh man, there is so much to be said on this. Oh, there is so much I could say this morning. But all, all I'm trying to get across here is I'm just trying to make the point that suffering's not just a problem for people of the faith. In fact, every belief system has lots of great resources for dealing with suffering. But my belief is that Christianity provides the most nuanced and the most superior resource for you to be able to deal with it. And here it is moves beyond the problem of suffering to the picture of suffering. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 again. It says, let us fix our eyes. This is verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, Hebrews 12 there is saying, how you deal with suffering will be dependent on the directionality of your gaze. It says there, verse 2, fix your eyes upon Jesus. The Greek underneath that is literally translated like this. It says, look away to Jesus. Look away to Jesus. It's a funny way to put it, but here's what it means. It's implying that the reason that we struggle in suffering is that our gaze is fixed towards the suffering and not towards God. And don't we know it? The sleepless nights about a court case and all of its permutations. The restlessness over silly decisions that your children are making. Anticipating all the various conversations that you're going to have or will have with someone who has hurt you. We've all been there. Our gaze is always fixed upon the problem. You know, we're like, we're like teenagers watching the TV when it's tea time. You know what they're like. You know, honey, it's time for tea. And they're like, yeah, coming, coming. Yeah, honey, so, yeah, I heard you are coming, coming. You see, we, we stare into the problem like a teenager watching TV. In, in other words, uh, the, 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 the problem's on video and God's on audio. 
You've got to look away to Jesus. But it's not just looking to Jesus that is going to get you through to the resources of suffering, but it's actually how you see Jesus that is the key. Because on one hand, Jesus is a great example, but that, that is the most crushing way to look at the guy. You can't look at him as this sort of picture in the movies of the sun-tanned, long-haired, uh, white-robed sort of guy that we see in the Hollywood movies. You've got to see him as the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, when people ask the question, you know, why, why is God allowing bad things to happen to good people? There's invariably one of two different answers to this question. One is, one is too strong and one is too weak. The answer that is too strong is that, oh, you're just a feeble kid. You've got no idea. You don't have the capacity to understand. God is much huger than you, so just don't worry about it. And the weak one says, well, you know what? I don't know. So let's just forget about it and move on. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, although the second is too weak, it does give us a link into an incredibly strong resource. And look here at verse 4. Verse uh, verse. Uh, the second half of verse 2, sorry. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, here's the thing. All of the world's religions, they all have authors. They all have authors of the faith. All of the world's religions have wonderful authors of the faith that have come up with, let's be real, some wonderfully good tips for living. But they're all authors. They're all just authors. They all just say, look, here is a wonderful and a sublime way to live. Go and do this. Good luck. (laughs) But we have a perfecter. We have an author and a perfecter of the faith. You see, Jesus authors in part, and there are some wonderfully good things that you can take from Jesus as an author, but you mustn't dare ever treat him like that. Because unlike all of the world's religions, Christianity shows us a God who's willing to subject himself to suffering himself. Dorothy says says it like this. The the incarnation, God with us, means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited and to suffer And to be subject to sorrows and death. For whatever reason that he's allowed us to be in that. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to swallow his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of the human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life. And the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money. To the worst horrors of pain and humiliation. Defeat, despair and even death. He was born into poverty and suffered infinite pain. All for us. And thought it well worth his while. Have you, been, have you been broke this year? So has he. Have you been hurt this year? So has he. Have you been isolated or lonely this year? So has he. Have you been rejected this year? So has he. It's God with us. He, he gets us. And do you see what this means for you this morning? We don't know why that there is suffering in the world, but we do know what it is not. We don't know why it is, but we know what it can't be. And here is what it can't be. It can't be because he doesn't love you. Because the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And what we see in a God, God with us, baby in a manger that goes to the cross, He's a God who at least is not indifferent. 
And unless you look to Jesus like this, not as an example, but a God who is not indifferent, unless you look to that, you will not be able to handle suffering. Why? Because it's inevitable, right? It's inevitable at some point you are going to ask yourself, why am I going through this? What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? Is this fair? And when you look at verses 3 to 4 and you look away to Jesus, you will see someone who is totally undeserving, facing the most horrendous suffering and doing it willingly. And if he did it, then at least Christians, can't you see we Christians, we go in with an incredible resource because we come in expecting some of this suffering in life. We don't come in expecting that, that God will owe us something or that, that somehow because we're Christians, we've got some survivor immunity idol that's going to make us immune from it. I mean, if Jesus didn't have a survivor immunity idol, then why should we? And thank goodness, when we see the scriptures and the gospel clearly like this, we don't become like some of those crazy aspects of Christianity. Heaven forbid ever comes out of this place that seems to argue that if you pray hard enough and you attend church hard enough and if you are a good enough person that somehow by faith God will protect you from the bad things in life. Heaven forbid we ever get to that point. Ever seen those sorts of conversations where people are saying, oh, the reason you're going through this is because, oh, you must not have enough faith. Bollocks, as the British say. He had perfect faith. He lived the perfect life and he still copped it. Heaven forbid we ever go down that path north side. The path that we do need to go through, though, is the pathway through suffering. And just because you can't know the reason why you are suffering at the moment doesn't mean that there is not one. And what's ironic is, can't you see the, the, the crazy logic of that objection? Oh, that I'm going through suffering, there can't be a God. I don't understand the reasons for my suffering, therefore there is no God. And here's the question. Is it possible that the God of Christianity could know a reason for suffering that you just can't comprehend? And some of you are thinking, that is, that's just cruel. What sort of loving God is that? I'll tell you what sort of God it is. It's a fatherly God. And that's what the last part of this uncomfortable bit of Hebrews 12, it starts descending into this discipline stuff. There are hardly words for hope in the midst of suffering. End of it all, it says, my, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Now, we've been through this in the Wisdom series. In fact, that writer of Hebrews is quoting or paraphrasing that chapter from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. Here's what discipline means. Discipline doesn't necessarily mean punishment. Discipline means to impose restrictions on someone for the purposes of their improvement. Here's what it looked like. I, when I was a little kid, I always ran too fast, particularly down our steep driveway. And I've shared this before because this is the only way that, in my sense, I can comprehend the nuance of, of suffering in the Christian life and what the Lord's discipline means. But I ran too fast. I always was running too fast. And I ran too fast down the driveway and then I decided to start rolling down the driveway uncontrollably until the only thing that could stop me was a rock right to the right-hand side of my head and I split my eye open. And so Dad uh, took me down to the doctor as a little toddler and he sent me down there and the doctor said, uh, well, look, you know what, uh, we're just going to stitch him up. 
Dad said, that's ridiculous. Can't you give him some anesthetic or a needle or something like that? Give him some Panadol? Can't you do something? The doctor said, no, like it'll cause him more pain to have the needle than just to put the three stitches through his eye. And so then it was Dad's job then to hold me down on top of the paper. (laughs) Hold me down on top of the bed there as the doctor proceeded with that funny hook-type needle to thread three stitches through my eye. And as he was telling me at the dining table later, as as older as a kid, he said, it just broke his heart. It was the hardest thing to do as he saw my little eyes first start to squeal and scream with the pain and then eventually give up when I realized I couldn't wrestle out of his grip and just scream at him through my eyes, Dad, what are you doing to me? A three-year-old's not capable of understanding what their parent is either withholding or holding in on them in times of pain. And the difference between you and God is infinitely greater than the difference between a three-year-old and a 33-year-old parent. And so we should not grasp at knowing all of God's purposes in our suffering, but here's the one thing we are capable of. We are capable of knowing his love. And in knowing his love, we are capable of moving into his trust. And, in, and, and being capable of trusting him means that in the midst of suffering, we can live securely, knowing the, uh, that he only wants the best for us. To discipline someone doesn't mean to punish them. It means to hold the restrictions in. It means to hold them down. It means to hold them in place in the suffering for that moment so they can't wriggle out and do more pain and damage to themselves in the long run. And so to endure hardship as discipline this morning, the Bible is saying is not to live in spite of the suffering, but to live in light of the suffering. It means not to just try and ignore the suffering and push it away, but it means to look at it, to live in light of it. And the question is not, why am I suffering? The question is not, why, Lord, am I suffering? The question is, why am I suffering? You hear the difference? Man, I'm playing on words all the time at the moment in this series. Not why am I suffering, but why am I suffering? What, what the end of Hebrews 12 is trying to say is that the question that you need to be asking yourself in the midst of suffering is, in what way is God in his perfect fatherhood using this for me? To grow me, to shape me, to heal me, to restore me. In other words, you know, why in this same context am I handling this worse than the person next to me? Lord, what are you showing me this? That's what it means to endure hardship as discipline, which means training, which means improvement. Look, I've spent enough time already with all of you as, as our church family in these recent months, knowing as we pray through struggles with the kids as we pray through depression as we pray through financial hardships together i know enough that's staring out in front of me this morning there's there's enough people that feel like they're copping a few stitches in the head this morning but here is the promise of this amazing amazing book in this history that when i asked dad and i heard that story about my stitches you know what i didn't remember the pain It had been swallowed up. It had been transformed. 
There's a great part of this story that says in Revelation there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more crying. The great promise is there will be a time, I promise you, he promises you that you will be able to sit down at the table. And you'll be, you'll be able to ask your daddy why the heck it felt like he was holding you down on that table. And he gently and he calmly will put his arm around you and said, Son, daughter, it's because, it was only ever because I loved you. and Because I knew what is best for you. There are times when we just have to obey in the dark. And John Stott wrote, I could never myself believe in a God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? You see what God with us means? Yes, we don't know the reason why we go through suffering. But there is one thing that we must know this morning. We know the reason what it isn't. We know what it isn't and what it can't be. It can't be because he doesn't love you. Let's pray.